0: about to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone.
1: You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between light and shadow. Between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the Twilight Zone.
2: Hey everybody, this is Tony from the Twilight Zone podcast and As you guys know, every once in a while I like to throw in something a little bit different. And this particular episode of the Twilight Zone podcast is going to be just that. As a matter of fact, all of it is going to be just that. Something a little bit different. So we're going to veer out from the Twilight Zone the main road anyway. Just for a little while and go down through some interviews and just find some different perspectives that I've found. Uh, from um, friends and fellow uh, fans from all over the internets, as I like to call it. So let's uh, dive right into that, and I hope you guys enjoy this uh, episode.
3: The Twilight Zone is brought to you by the new Polaroid 10-second automatic camera. Only three buttons to push. One, two, three. And in just 10 seconds, a finished picture.
4: Hi everyone. I'm Moose, and today on Nerd, we're looking at the legacy of TV's most legendary science fiction series. Just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Why did Rod Serling create the show in the first place? How do its various reboots throughout the years stack up to the original? And what does the Twilight Zone mean in 2019? This is the true story of the Twilight Zone. little funky inside the fifth dimension so let's keep things simple and start at the beginning with the origin creator rod serling's career began in the waning days of radio where he was able to witness firsthand the medium's slow decline into irrelevance well if that don't beat the serling was disheartened by the lack of quality and ambition he experienced in the world of radio drama and he was determined not to let the same thing happen with a newfangled invention called television. After making the leap to the moving image, Serling's innovative, insightful scripts began turning heads, although he chafed against censorship and sponsor demands. In one script, he was forced to delete the line, I need a match, because the show was being paid for by a lighter company. In another, he had to remove shots of the Chrysler building from the New York skyline, because that show was sponsored by Ford. Get the full story at your four dealers. Worse than petty pedantic problems, Serling's sponsors refused to let him address anything controversial. He wanted to tackle important social issues about race and class and what it means to be human. But he quickly realized that the only way to do that would be to create his own show. So long
0: as you're appealing to a, in a sense, a totally commercial entity, whose job it is is to move product and wherein lies a challenge to networks to improve the quality
4: of their product? So, he did. His first script for what he hoped would become the Twilight Zone was called The Time Element, about a man convinced he's traveling back to the day of the Pearl Harbor attack. All the classic Serling hallmarks are present from the trippy premise to the twist ending. And while CBS dug the script, they didn't want to commit to a series. So they filmed it for a show produced by Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz instead.
2: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Western
4: House, Desital Playhouse. Now, Ricky Ricardo's narration doesn't quite evoke the gravitas of Serling's stern monologues, but the episode was a hit, and CBS quickly gave the green light to the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone was groundbreaking in more ways than we can count. It wasn't the first dedicated science fiction show on TV. Kids' shows like Captain Video and earlier anthologies like Tales of Tomorrow beat it to the screen by a few years. But Serling elevated the genre to the same heights it was achieving on the printed page. He used scripts and stories from legends like Richard Matheson and Ray Bradbury, paving the way for future cerebral shows like The Outer Limits and, of course, Star Trek.
5: Ah! 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 Ah!
4: Which was also a Desilu production. With the Twilight Zone, Serling finally had the chance to produce his powerful political scripts, like The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, an allegory for Cold War McCarthyist paranoia.
6: are well, neighbors? We've known the Goodmans ever since they came here.
2: We've been good friends.
4: That don't prove a thing. Or I Am the Night, Color Me Black, where all the racism in the world comes to life and forms a cloud of smothering darkness.
5: even
4: darker now. Look, no one ever said The Twilight Zone was subtle. But in telling socially conscious stories in the early 60s, it was definitely radical. Still, as innovative as it was, The Twilight Zone was never much of a ratings hit. The show was actually cancelled and revived twice during its five-year run. And by the time the axe dropped a third time, Serling was just too exhausted to fight it. He owned nearly every aspect of production. He wrote 92 of the 156 episodes and hosted every single one despite his crippling stage fright. So, gentlemen, please sit back and take your first trip into the Twilight Zone. 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 Yeah. Serling moved on to less taxing roles like appearing in commercials, hosting game shows, and writing the screenplay for Planet of the Apes.
5: God DAMN YOU ALL hell.
4: After the Twilight Zone was cancelled, ABC offered to pick it up with some conditions. They wanted to focus strictly on schlocky horror and change the title to Witches, Warlocks and Werewolves. Rather than see his baby bastardized, Serling sold his stake in the Twilight Zone to CBS. Things were different in the 60s. Reruns and syndication were still in their infancy, and once a show ended, it just kinda languished forgotten in a vault. Serling didn't see any further value in his creation, and for a while, neither did CBS. He eventually returned to the world of anthologies with Rod Serling's Night Gallery, and while he could definitely rock a mean set of 70s Sideburns, without creative control, the horror series never reached the same heights as The Twilight Zone and neither did its many reboots. Through the years, creatives like Francis Ford Coppola and Serling himself pitched the network on potential revivals, but CBS didn't bite. Instead, they opted to make a big budget anthology movie in 1983, with each segment helmed by the biggest directors of the day, like John Landis, Mad Max's George Miller, Gremlin's Joe Dante, and Steven Spielberg, who oversaw the whole production. Three stories were remakes that upped the budget and intensity of their original episodes, but lacked the sincerity and gravitas that Serling brought to the table. What are you doing? And the only original segment called Time Out is forever overshadowed by the tragic helicopter accident that killed Vic Miller and two child actors who were working illegally on the set. Reviews were mixed, and while it didn't exactly set the box office on fire, it garnered enough interest that CBS gave the green light for a new series in 1985. They were never big believers in the show, but in a post-ET and poltergeist world, they saw an audience for serious and spooky science fiction. Now, the new series had some real talent behind the scenes like director Wes Craven and scripts from sci-fi powerhouses like Harlan Ellison and George R.R. Martin. There was no shortage of star power in front of the camera either, but still the show never found an audience. Maybe it was the fact that there was no on-screen Serling-style narrator or that new theme song by the Grateful Dead was just too far out, man. Either way, the 80s Twilight Zone was a ratings disappointment and it was canned after three seasons. Which is a bummer because there were a lot of quality episodes in there, but at least it lasted longer than the 2002 reboot on UPN. The new series righted at least one wrong of the 80s version by tapping Forrest Whitaker to fill Serling's role as the on camera narrator. But the opening theme by Jonathan Davis from Corn has not aged nearly as well. We're traveling to another- Mission. Mission not only sight and sound, but mind. The series was yet another mix of new stories and classic episodes updated for a post-9-11 world, like a new version of Maple Street that substituted terrorism for the aliens of the original.
5: Their house could be a beacon to show the terrorists where to bomb.
4: Or a straight-up sequel to the iconic It's a Good Life, where the all-powerful Anthony has an even more omnipotent daughter. We don't want
1: to make him angry, do we? I don't care. I
4: hate him. Sadly, it only lasted a single season, and the Twilight Zone returned to the realm of reruns and annual marathons. At least, until CBS announced an all-new incarnation for 2019. And if you ask me, it is the perfect time, because the last 60 years of science fiction has been shaped by Rod Serling's influence. John Serling, a lifelong smoker, died of a heart attack on June 28, 1975. He was already an icon among the sci fi set.
0: Yes, I'm the mayor of this town. As a matter of fact, I named it after me. I'm Mr. Zone. <laughs>
4: but he passed long before his true impact could be felt on pop culture. The Twilight Zone was never a commercial juggernaut, but it lived on through novels, games, one of the greatest pinball machines of all time, and a theme park ride that was so terrifying, they made a whole damn movie about it. It's not just about the merch, either. Hundreds of shows throughout history have paid tribute to the Twilight Zone. You're Hitler!
3: No! 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 Ava Braun, help me! Ah!
0: Coming.
4: from SNL to Goth Merengue's Dock Place. It might be the most parodied pop culture relic next to Citizen Kane. Hell, we did a whole video on how The Simpsons paid homage to Serling's show, and that's just scratching the surface. But beyond references, The Twilight Zone is almost single-handedly responsible for bringing intelligent, high-quality science fiction with a message to the masses. Sci-fi had always tackled social issues through allegory and fantasy, just look at H.G. Wells or Jules Verne, but Serling took it out of the bookstores, matinee cinemas, and pulp magazines and blew the minds of millions of people around the world. The Twilight Zone proved that TV shows could be smart, socially aware, and yes, scary, without dumbing things down or playing to the lowest common denominator. Its influence can be seen in everything from the cerebral horror and terrifying twists of David Lynch and M. Night Shyamalan, to the razor sharp techno-savvy satire of Black Mirror, which, come on, is Twilight Zone, but smartphones. Anthology series are back in a big way, and given the current state of global politics, the world has never been more ready for a new spin on Serling's staple. And when we found out that noted comedian, actor, writer, director, and How to Kill fan, Jordan Peele, was going to produce and host, we were all in. So, how will the new Twilight Zone live up to Serling's legacy? Only time will tell. Luckily, we've got all the time in the world. Thanks for- Zone is brought to you by new U.S. Royal
3: Tires, engineered to keep your spare in the trunk. Lavoris mouthwash for a sparkling clean mouth and breath. Twilight Zone is brought to you by Studebaker Corporation and your Studebaker dealer. Light racing, clean tasting Pepsi-Cola. And crispy, crunchy Franklin dry toasted peanuts. Twilight Zone brought to you by Pretty Perm, the new color conditioning permanent wave. New Micron oral antiseptic from Johnson & Johnson. Twilight Zone has been brought to you by Johnson's Baby Powder and other fine baby products. Metrical wafers, liquids, and now new soups. And Chesterfield King tastes great because the tobaccos are. Twilight Zone, brought to you by 612 Insect Repellent. Keeps bugs from biting. Johnson & Johnson, makers of Band-Aid shear strips. And new U.S. Royal tires, engineered to keep your spare in the trunk. The great thing about doing a new
7: Twilight Zone is that each episode can explore different ideas. And so every episode, even though they look very different, they each have a nuanced tone. They all feel like there's a certain timelessness to them. Magic exists where we're
1: not supposed to be. I'm ready to see. With the look of the show, we're trying to evoke a sense of wonder but also to keep that quintessential eeriness.
7: You happy with your life? Don't you
4: want it all? It's all about tone with the camera work and the lighting. We're trying to emulate that feel of being very specific in such a way that we're not giving anything away. We're not tipping our hand
1: until it's just the right time. As a nod to its past, we're going to convey a mid-century modern feeling, even though we're not making a period television show. You need to remember who you are.
6: Style. It's just got a style that isn't in the modern world. It's very clean very 60s feeling because we want you to know it's the twilight so like that
8: tell me about your nightmare this is the
1: nightmare what's most exciting about this show is the thoroughness that we get to explore these worlds and these characters and these stories i know things you shut your mouth about you people
5: we want our episodes to feel like parables and that they can stand the test of time.
7: That's just the wrapper of what is a thrilling piece of science fiction. We're running out of time. You're watching each episode having no idea what's going to happen.
8: Make a wish. Blow out the candles.
7: <laughs> we are telling wildly entertaining, surprising stories just like Ron did. You should
4: have run. What did you do to me? You're not there. I just need you to help me end it.
9: It's just a story.
2: So up next we'll hear the uh, actress that did the voice for Talkie Tina and her name is uh, June uh, Foray and she's talking about her experience on the uh, show itself.
6: I was the original voice of Chatty Cathy and uh, they did a couple with some people after that but they never sold they mattel liked the way i said i love you please change my dress you know and so uh i got a call to do uh the twilight zone with a chatty kathy voice uh talky tina who kills telly savallas but she was evil you know she she was nice to the little girl but she would always say uh my name is Talkie Tina, and I'm going to kill you. And in the end, when she does kill him, the wife picks up the doll, and the doll says, My name is Talkie Tina, and you better be nice to me. Very threatening. But they've also put out a new Chatty Cathy doll uh, for 1999, for Christmas and uh, Thanksgiving. I did not work with Rod Serling, and I'm sorry I didn't. I was just in the control in the sound booth, and, and the control room was just the uh, some person who was a line reader or something. And uh, no, I I felt so bad that I never met him. But a lot of stars started with Rod Serling, Robert Redford, and uh, so many people had their first jobs. That was a wonderful. I I felt so privileged working on that. It, it's it's a apparently a very favorite episode among a lot of people and when i tell them that i'm talking tina were you really that bad yes i was (laughs) but not personally
3: twilight zone has been brought to you by crest the toothpaste proved effective against cavities in year after year of clinical tests tests among thousands of families and homes like yours
2: as usual, I like to throw in an extra clip or interview or something interesting surrounding the Twilight Zone and/or the Twilight Zone podcast. So tonight I have a special interview that I uh, that I was able to uh, capture and and, and bring onto the episode tonight, and it's an interview with uh, Bill Mumy, uh, and he played a few. Uh, characters in the twilight zone and one of the uh, most popular ones is when he plays the uh, the child that has the powers that basically takes his town and or maybe even possibly the entire world under his control and it's a good life so I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, interview and his experience uh, with the directors and cast and everything surrounding that You and her, you had him.
0: You had to go have him. (laughs) You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when I am blue. Monster, you!
6: You dirty little monster!
0: You murderer! think about me go ahead Anthony you think bad thoughts about me and maybe some man in this room some man with guts somebody who's so sick to death of living in this kind of place and willing to take a chance will sneak up behind you and lay something heavy across your skull and end this once and for all
6: you're a bad man. You're a very bad man.
0: You think that? Go ahead, Anthony. I'm a very bad man. Keep thinking that. Somebody sneak up behind him. Somebody end this now are you thinking about me. <laughs> A bottle or
6: something and end this you're a bad man you're a very bad man and you keep thinking bad thoughts about me
3: wish it into the cornfield please son wish it into the cornfield please
6: jack-in-the-box, a jack-in-the-box that still had his bad face. And you mustn't think bad thoughts about me either, or I'll do the same thing to you. Play some more music.
3: It's good what you've done to Dad. It's real good.
9: It was swell. It was just swell. That was really good.
6: good for you to say such a thing it's it's real good but how can you mean it why Anthony's television is much better than anything we ever used to get
3: oh yes it's fine why Anthony's television is the best television we've ever seen it's snowing outside making it snow
5: yes i'm making it snow
3: why that'll rule half the craps. you know that don't you half of the craps. that's what that'll have but it's good that you're making it snow anthony it's real good and tomorrow tomorrow's gonna be a real good day <laughs> no
0: comment here no comment at all we only wanted to introduce you to one of our very special citizens, little Anthony Fremont, age six, who lives in a village called Peaksville in a place that used to be Ohio. And if by some strange chance you should run across him, you would best think only good thoughts. Anything less than that is handled at your own risk. Because if you do meet Anthony, you can be sure of one thing. You have entered the Twilight Zone.
8: Anthony Fremont, who has the ability to read everyone 's thoughts and if he's displeased with those thoughts he 'd mess you up he 'd send you to the cornfield or he'd turn you into a jack in the box or whatever he might he'd just put you on fire or whatever he might do. Anthony Fremont was a character that I loved playing because. Even though he wasn't Superman or Zorro, he wasn't a caped superhero or anything like that, but he was the epitome of the most powerful superhero you could imagine. So to me, even though it's not a hero, but to me at seven years old, you know, playing Anthony was just really kind of what I had wanted to get into TV to do in the first place. And uh, James Sheldon, who directed Long Distance Call, directed um, It's a Good Life. And I had worked with Cloris Leachman previously on the, the already Young show. So it was a comfortable gathering of folks. And uh, <laughs> I remember, I mean, it's a silly memory, but I'll share it with you. My, I, We we lived in Beverly Wood and we shot that out at like Universal or something. I can't remember where we shot it, but uh, my mom had this pink 59 Cadillac. She drove a pink 59 Cadillac. And I was even at that age, I was kind of embarrassed to be seen in that car. It was huge. And I used to sit on the top of the, there were no seatbelts in those days. and you'd, I would sit on the top where the speakers were and it was so little, I'd curl up where the speakers were and we'd listen to KFWB and I'd like to listen to the Beach Boys and Ricky Nelson and stuff. But I remember driving to and from that gig using Anthony's powers to make the lights green. I mean, I I carried Anthony Fremont. There's two characters I've probably carried with me, which is silly, but, uh, you know, one is Anthony Fremont, the other's Will Robinson. But, boy, I loved playing Anthony Fremont, and I completely got what he was. Even as a... There was no... I don't get this or I'm just going to hit my mark and blah blah blah. I understood that everybody was in total fear of this guy cuz he knew exactly what you were thinking moment to moment and man if he wasn't happy you were in trouble. And that was so much fun for me. Oh, I loved that show. I loved that show.
6: So when you got a part like that did someone explain to you those themes or did you pick
8: James them? Sheldon the director uh he made it real clear. I mean, it was you know, it was just it was as clear as, as it could be. Um, yeah. <laughs> he and I worked on the look. The look of Anthony using his power. Not when Anthony wasn't using his power, but there's that, it's it, you know, the, the eyes get real big, but the, there's a little, like the nostrils flare a little bit. Yeah, he, he and I worked on that before we started shooting. Um, he was cool, I liked James Sheldon. Um, we ran into each other socially. A few times over the years, and I was always appreciative that I got to work with him.
6: Why do you think that episode resonates with people?
8: Because it's great. <laughs> because everyone in the cast is just so good. John Larch and Cloris Leachman, and I forgive me for forgetting some of the Max Schumwalter and oh, and, and, and you know, it's based on a great story by Jerome Bixby, and and a, a teleplay by Rod Serling, and it's scares the shit out of you and it's black and white and that most of the uh you know special effects are left to your imagination which i think is great about the twilight zone there are episodes of the twilight zone where okay here's the mask and here's the thing and i think those are weaker than the ones where your own mind has to play you know when i when anthony turns him into a jack-in-the-box you just basically see a shadow you know you see a a beat of that, that head, but it's mostly left to your imagination. And uh, the choices there were just, just great. And I, I, you know, there's a lot of people who want to explain the, the, the hidden meaning of that show that undisciplined children or the undisciplined United States will turn. I mean, all that stuff that may be well and good, but to me, he was just the ultimate mutant and he was cranky. I love that show. Really, really proud to be a part of that one.
6: So then in 2003, you actually did a, a sequel. sequel to it. Yeah So talk about that.
8: Well, <clears throat> that, was, that was a real treat, and as far as I'm concerned, if, I, if that book ends the whole bit, you know, that's, that's cool. Uh, my friend and neighbor, Ira Bear, was offered the opportunity to produce a revival of the uh, Twilight Zone for uh, I think it's UPN. And he came to me, I had done a Star Trek Deep Space Nine for him, our kids went to school together, we're good friends. He came to me and he said, um, boy, I don't know if I'm going to take this gig, you know? And I remember saying, you have to take this gig, you have to. And he was like, and I said, you have to because you can protect it. I said, you will protect You know the legacy of the Twilight Zone. You have to take that responsibility, and I think I really was a pivotal, a pivotal uh, part of his, you know, uh, decision to take that gig, because I did feel like if you don't do it, someone else is going to mess it up, and you can't let the Twilight Zone get messed up. I would have preferred initially, don't do it, don't anybody do it. The Twilight Zone is Rod Serling's. You know, leave it, Rod Serling's, because. In history, when we look back on the Twilight Zone now, there's going to be kind of three appendages, and two of them aren't connected to Rod Serling, and I don't really think that that's necessarily a good choice. But if they're going to go ahead and do it, Ira, please do it. You have to do it. And this was long before um, we knew that we were going to do a sequel to It's a Good Life. That was actually my idea. You know, he took the series, and he started doing it, and I said to him, wouldn't it be interesting to see what Anthony Fremont was up to now? And he went, oh, yes. And, and Cloris was a, a friend. I had been in a band with her son, George. And I saw her, you know, reasonably often. I said, I, we could get Cloris. I know she'd do it. And he was like, wow, that's an idea. So I wrote a treatment for what I thought it would be like. And he wrote a treatment, and we exchanged them. And his treatment included my daughter, Liliana, who had started working on camera, you know, a little earlier than that. And so I really liked, you know, his idea. It was like, wow, wow. How cool if we could go back to something that classic. I mean, TV Guide had called It's a Good Life one of the best 100 shows of television, which is a very, you know, I mean, it's it's nice. It's not gonna get you pizza, but it's still nice. It's very flattering to, to be a part of something like that. So. To include my daughter and work with Cloris again was just too good not to do. And Ira is a very honorable man, and obviously, you know, we went with his outline, and he gave me his word as a gentleman that if I didn't like this script, he wouldn't do it that he wouldn't do it with anyone else. He would not cast anyone else to do this. And if I didn't feel the script that he delivered to me was something Rod Serling would have given a thumbs up to, that he said, well, I'll, I'll pull the plug on the whole thing, which was very generous of him. Uh, and I I loved his script. He took some suggestions that I made and tweaks and things like that. We got Chloris on board and uh, it was a beautiful experience and a real rare opportunity to return to something that is a benchmark in your career and feel good about it, you know? So um, that was a real blessing.
2: We have an interview with uh, Russell Johnson. Um, some of you may know him as the professor from Gilligan's Island. Um, but he had uh, several appearances on the Twilight Zone. So uh, here's a brief interview uh, with him and his experience on the Twilight Zone.
9: Oh yeah, I did two of those. Oh God, they were wonderful. I am, I am. I was very proud to be in those. Of course, everybody in Hollywood who in those days was doing the Twilight Zone, but that's fine. Those they were the best written shows. They they were, they were wonderful, and they still are. They they, still, they hold up those stories. The execution that was with a guy named Albert Selmy a wonderful actor. I played a scientist who had a time machine who brings. He's about to be hung in the Old West. He's a bad guy. I my time machine takes him out of the And puts him in New York City, brings him into New York City. In eighteen, you know, fifty or sixty somewhere in there. That's where he's taken out of and brought into modern times, and he can't handle that. And he ends up killing me, and ends up back in the noose. Okay, that was the execution. The other one was called Back There. And it's about a guy who knows that Lincoln's going to be assassinated, and tries to stop it, tries to tell people, tries to stop it. And that was a fun show, that was a good show.
5: Now those are both written by Rod Rod Serling. Yes. Did you meet him?
9: Oh, yes. Oh yeah. oh yeah, he used to come down on the stage uh, after the dailies, after they saw the dailies, which was you know around lunchtime, and after that, he would come down on the stage and talk to the actors and uh, and uh, you know if he liked what you were doing, he'd say that you know, it was nice and so on and so on. He was a very nice, very quiet young man. He died too young. He smoked, smoked himself to death. Today you have to go, you know. You have to audition for 64 people, you know. But in those days, it was just one or two guys. You worked with the director, and he liked your work, and he went and did something else. He'd say, get me, Russell. You know, something. So many times you didn't have to read for or talk or do anything. You got the part, and sometimes you did. I, the director of both of these was the same guy, and I worked with him in live television, so I didn't have to do anything. Twilight
3: Zone was brought to you tonight by Kleenex Tissues. The only tissue that gives
0: you so much. The soft, strong tissue with the Kleenex
3: touch. The Twilight Zone is brought to you tonight by the perfect coffee on the modern scene. New Aroma Roast Sanka Coffee. For any of the producers, I mean... Serling is such a... We have a mental image of him, right? Um,
1: what more did you learn about him through the process of making the show, and why is he as important as he is? You know, I, I think one of the, the things that really opened this up for me was, was realizing that he he's a humorist. You know, we think of him as a, a horror, science fiction uh, master, but he is... Uh, he he's a he has a perfect pitch tone uh, of comedy. Why do you like someone like that? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you asked when I was in Key oh, and <laughs> Um I I you know but yeah we you know in in thinking about his, his tone um you know we 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 got to this 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 thing you know that we were calling the Serling wink um that there was there, there, there is a, you know, I mean, you know, one of the greatest episodes to serve man is a is basically a long winded dad pun <laughs> expertly crafted into this terrifying uh, story that develops in front of you. And by the end, you are you are there with it. And, um, you know, only sort of years later, in, ret- in retrospect, you'd be like, that's kind of a silly, <laughs> fun um, a, a joke, bit, bit of satire. Um, so that was, that was a, you know, that, that was a big thing that kind of opened up the, you know, what the, the energy of the show was, is don't, don't forget, you know, the Twilight Zone is a place where anything can happen. Um, it is, uh, you know, the, the, the possibilities are as endless as your imagination can take them. And, um, and you know, they, they don't, even when they're at their most harrowing, um, they leave you uh, feeling up and they, they, they give you a sense of fun. Uh, they give you something to talk about going into your week. Um, so I, I think the underlying positivity that the twilight zone brings because i always had the the connotation of watching the shows especially as a kid that my god these are terrifying and mind bending and and so serious um but uh you know i think that they offer uh, you know that 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 sort of subversive humor offers a relief from you know just th- the grind of reality which is so often just you know, depressing and troubling and and, and crazy-making. Um, so, uh, the, he, he's, he's a comedy guy.
5: <laughs>
1: well, it's inter- interesting, actually. His his uh, wife, Widow,
7: um, Carol, who's was involved with the show from the beginning, that is actually, I don't think I ever told you this, Jordan, that's something she said to me from the start. Is She said, you know, Rod was really funny. Mm-hmm. And, and at the time, before I had really gone back and sort of reinvestigated episodes and um I was I was like are you sure he was funny? You know,
5: like
7: you might have just loved him. I'm not sure he was funny. Um and then I watched not only the episodes but some old interviews with him where he's always there's like a slyness to him. And I think that slyness is part of what keeps you um entertained but also a little off balance. And I think that combination is um something that uh is relevant today and is unique.